Father in heaven, thank you so much for being our Father. Out of all the names you could have chosen for yourself, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, God of the universe, seems like the one you love the best is Father. Seems like the personal one that you share between you and us. And we're grateful to you for that. We're grateful to be your children. We're grateful to be in your family. So thank you. Lord, I want to pray for those who are fathers among us today. We come at all different stages. Some are raising little ones. Some are uh, leading teenagers. Some have an empty nest. Some are approaching the end of the line as a father here on earth. Uh, but for all of us in whatever stage we are, we, I just want to pray for us that we would have your grace and we would live in your blessing. We would walk by your truth. And we would uh, see your face. I pray that that would be true of us. Uh, Lord, I pray for some among us, maybe some have lost their father recently in the last year or so, and today comes and it's kind of a tough day. And some maybe are fathers of children that they've lost, and that becomes a tough day. So I pray for us that you pour your grace out on us. And as we live this next year, whether we're fathers or whether we want to be fathers or whether we're not even uh, men, we can't even be fathers, so... Whatever we are, wherever we are in this journey, I just pray that you would keep your hand on us, keep walking with us. And today as we come together and we open your scriptures, open your heart to us, Lord. Our desire is to open our heart to you. And we pray that you would open yours to us and may we be connected, may we be in this love-filled, grace-filled relationship with you. And would you shape us to, kind of, to be the kind of people you want us to be. Lord, thank you. We love you. We come through your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Hey, I want to say good morning to our friends in the family room uh, over in the block today. Yeah, nice hand from everybody today. That's cool. So glad you guys are there. We're going to have a great time. So just so you know, when you're watching from the family room, we put the auditorium into a circle today, and so I don't have any idea which way I'll be looking. So forgive me if you see my bald spot. I'm sorry. Uh, and you guys, the same thing. It's going to be the same for everybody all around the house, so I don't really know how that goes. Uh, so it's Father's Day. And what, what, what's better at Father's Day than baseball? Football. What do you mean football? Football doesn't happen during Father's Day. <clears throat> all right, well, whatever. I love baseball, and I love it so much. Some of you know this. I love baseball so much that my brothers and I every year go down to Arizona during the month of March, and we watch baseball games in the Phoenix area, we just sit in the sun, we eat really tasty food that's really bad for us, and we watch baseball games. And that's all it's about. It's, it's a brother trip. We get to watch baseball. That's, that's just, like, beautiful for me. And uh, I, grew, I grew up loving baseball. I grew up playing baseball, so I always had a baseball glove with a baseball stuck in it, wrapped up in tape or, or a rubber band or something, stuck between my box spring and my mattress so that I would shape the pocket of that glove in the perfect form of a baseball so that when a baseball was hit to me at shortstop I would never miss and it would never fall out it would only get pulled out and thrown you know thrown to first base and and it was beautiful I have dreams of this in my head <laughs> sorry you could probably tell this I don't know well I love baseball so much we actually made this into bleachers today yeah so nobody took the cheap seats that's okay uh and I love to have a bat in my hand this, this, that, this just feels natural to me. This is so great. It's so sweet. I, I never was a, like, home run hitter. 
Shocking, I'm sure, but I uh, never was really good at hitting homers, but I was pretty decent at hitting singles and a few doubles here and there, like to run the bases. I just, I kind of love everything about baseball, and I love having a bat in my hand. The problem with this bat is it's broken. What's weird is you can't see it from where you are. You can't see it's broken. You can't tell it's broken, but this bat is broken, and the moment it became broken as a baseball bat, it became unusable. This bat belongs to a friend of mine. He doesn't use it anymore. He can't because it's broken right here. So he keeps it at home as a souvenir. He is a true fan. Why would you have a broken bat on yourself? But he does. The moment this bat was broken, it became unusable. And as soon as he broke the bat, as soon as whoever broke the bat, as soon as they hit the ball and it broke, wasn't a, wasn't a dramatic break, wasn't one of those things where the ball hits it and the bat goes helicoptering out toward the third baseman and hits him in the chest with a sharp, you know, it wasn't like that. More of a mild break, less of a noticeable break. But the moment it became broken, it became unusable. And the batter took the bat, went over to the dugout, and put it down and picked up a different bat. Because that one was unusable. Here's the deal. You are not a bat. No amen? <laughs> okay, you are not a bat. But you are broken. And I'm not trying to put something on you. I'm not trying to go, you're broken. Because I go, I'm broken too. Truth is, we're all broken. But there's something different between us and a bat. When a bat breaks, it cannot be used again in a ball game. It's not safe. But when you break, when your life breaks, it can be mended. It can be restored. It can be healed. That's the truth I want you to grasp today as we walk through the scriptures together when at Easter this last spring, we started going through a series on the book of Romans. And if you were with us during that part, you kind of know what's going on. But let me give a little bit of background to those of you who may be new with us since Easter. Uh, we're taking the book of Romans, and uh, it's really a letter written by the Apostle Paul about 2,000 years ago. It was written to a church, and the church existed in the city of Rome. And the church was comprised of different kinds of people, much like Lakeside Church is comprised of different kinds of people. And some of the people that we knew uh, participated in that church, some of them had a, are, were part of a family that came from a long line of God worshipers. In fact, the God of the Old Testament, whose name is Yahweh, the, the, the people of the Jewish faith, the nation of Israel, they worshiped that God for 2,000 years before we got to the time of Christ when Paul wrote this letter. So there's some that had a long heritage with God, but then there were some that were in the church that were Gentile believers in Christ, and they didn't have a long heritage with the God of the Bible. They had a long heritage in paganism. So they worshiped all kinds of gods, different kinds of gods, multiple gods, but they didn't worship the one God who is the creator. But at some point in their life, they had come to the place where they said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I'm going to worship you. And so they joined this church in Rome. So now you've got Jewish Christ followers and Gentile Christ followers in the church together. At the same time, you had different kinds of people who were in the church based on uh, how they lived their life. So some people in the church were very much like the people, like the one son in the story of the prodigal son. Some of you remember the story of the prodigal son. The, the man had two sons and he divided his wealth between them and he gave portions to his sons and he gave some to his younger son and immediately that younger son took his inheritance and he went off to a distant country and he squandered it he wasted it he spent it extravagantly which is what prodigal means and he came back to his father later on in that story and he was completely broken 
And he said, please accept me back as a slave. And there were people in the church in Rome who were like that prodigal son. They had, they had sinned extravagantly. They were broken extravagantly, and they knew it. And they said, I want to be connected to God, and God, whatever you do to have me back, I want in. And so they came to God, and God accepted them through their faith in Christ. But there were other people in the church in Rome who were not so extravagantly broken, not so obviously broken. There are people who hadn't sinned extravagantly. They didn't carry a bunch of shame around with them. In fact, they kept the rules extravagantly. They were obedient extravagantly. And yet they were broken, only it was harder to see. Where the people that were like the younger son were like a baseball bat that cracks and the head swings down the field and lands somewhere. The people in the second category, they were more like people who the bat broke and it cracked and it was unusable, but you couldn't really tell that it was unusable. And all these different kinds of people were there in the church of Rome. And it's interesting when you come back and you look at us, you go, well, all those people are, are here at Lakeside Church as well. We may be extravagantly broken or we may be secretly broken, but we're broken. And Paul writes his letter to the Romans to all of us to help us understand what it's like not just to be broken, but to be healed. When you look at our world, it's not very hard to figure out that we live in a broken world, Right? Shall we vote? How many of you think the world is broken? Yeah, most. Okay, good. So you're paying attention. Because those of you who didn't vote, you're like, I don't think you're paying attention. But most of you did, so most of you voted. In the family room, hopefully you guys voted as well. Yeah, most of us, it's not very hard to look at this world and go, look, the world is broken. I mean, look at the nations in our world. Is there a nation on the planet that's not broken? I mean, think about the, the, like the most broken nations you can think of, right? I, I think of North Korea. I mean, that place is broken. You know, if you have North Korean heritage, sorry, but it's broken. Syria is broken. It's a mess. It's just broken. It's falling apart. But let's get closer to home. Look at the United States. It's broken. I remember my mom. I don't, I don't know which election this was, but I remember uh, my mom at some point when I was a child, there, there was a presidential election going on, and my mom made the comment, I, I think to my dad, she said, you know, it comes down to the, uh, a choice between the lesser of two evils. And you know what's so weird is that's still, the, that's still today in every election we've been through, I've heard somebody say, it's just going to come down to the lesser of two evils. When your system calls you to, to elect a leader who is simply the lesser of two evils, your system's broken. Your nation is broken. And it gets worse because of what happened last weekend as an example, last Sunday in Orlando, what happened, how horrible that was. And what makes that even more horrible is that there would be some people that would celebrate what happened. And that's horrible, and that's broken. And all of that just to say we live in a broken world, and our own nation is broken. We know it. It gets more personal, though, because it's not just our nation that's broken. It's our families that are broken. And families aren't all, aren't all broken the same way, but families all need to be healed the same way. Some families are broken legally. Some families are broken publicly. We call it divorce, and so there's this split that comes and a separation that goes, and they divide the wealth and the estate and the children and all. All those things, and everyone watches, and it's painful, and, and everybody hurts in the midst of that. The, the people in the family, the people outside the family, everybody 
hurts in the process of that. But that's just, the, that's just the obvious broken ones. There are also families that are not broken legally. They're not broken publicly. They're, bo- they're broken privately. They're broken silently. They're broken desperately. And there are both kinds of families here in the room today. And we all need to be healed. Sometimes when I stop and think about it, I'm grateful that in the early days of Lakeside, we decided that Lakeside Church was not going to be one of those churches you had to dress up to go to. Which I'm just, thank you, I'm just grateful, yeah, since the man in shorts, right? It's like, (laughs) I'm so grateful for that because I I don't like to dress up. You know, if I get an occasion, I have to dress up, I'll dress up and I look, you know, fine, I guess. I don't know, but I hate it. I want to live my life dressing comfortably. But you know what's interesting in churches where they decide you have to dress up to go to church? You you come in and now now I'm going to make it worse because we make you look at each other. You know, it used to be you had to look down the road and go, look at those guys. Whoa, they dressed up. They must have it all dialed in. They must have it all together. They, look, they sit close to each other. You know, now we make it worse. Like, look, just look across from each other. Now you're comparing yourself. Like, like it, we don't look that good when we come to church. What's so, what's so weird when you dress up to go to church is that you just look good, and everyone looks at you and goes, well, you don't, you've got it all together. And then after a while, you say, yeah, we got it all together. No, you don't. You just look good. I mean, cool, points for looking good, but still broken. And some of us are broken more publicly, and some of us are broken more privately. Sometimes the ones that are most private are the most desperate. But you don't see that when you look at it. And not only are our nations broken, and not only are our families broken, but our souls are broken. When Paul writes this letter to the Romans, he's talking about brokenness, and he goes, look, there's brokenness in your own soul. And when your soul is broken, some things happen. One of the things that happens when your soul breaks is you carry shame around with you. Shame is that ugly, horrible feeling that you are unworthy of love or belonging. And every one of us knows what it's like. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. We all know what it's like to carry shame. We all know what it's like to be accused and have that accusation hit us right here. And we carry that around. It's because we're broken. Another thing that happens when our soul is broken is it gets disconnected from God. And so we try and engage God. And people all over the world are doing this. We try and engage God. But because our soul is broken, we can't feel like we can break break through to God. We don't think God's listening or God's hearing us. Because our soul is broken. And when Paul writes his letter, he writes it to all of us who are broken. And he goes, I want you to know you're not a bat. And though you're broken, you can be healed. If you have your copy of the scripture today, why don't you open it up to Romans chapter 5. I want to read for you the first 11 verses in Romans chapter 5 and just see if we can understand what Paul has to say to us about being healed. So, uh, Romans 5, there's some Bibles on the chairs near you. If you want to use one of those, that's cool. If you've got your smartphone, you want to open up the Version Bible app, uh, we've got some notes in there for you, so you can follow along with that. If you like, that would be fine too. So, or you can just listen. Romans 5, starting at verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul's point is we are made whole through the gospel. The book of Romans is all about the gospel, the good news about Jesus and what he's done for us. And his point in this chapter, in this passage, is that we get to be made whole through the gospel. Or to put it in a question, I would say this way. What if nothing in your relationship with God were broken? If your relationship with God was perfectly whole, what if nothing in your relationship with God were broken? What would that be like? How, what would that change in your life? What would that change in your world? What if everyone in the world were in a spot where nothing in their relationship with God were broken? How would that change the world? How would it change our families? How would it change our nation? How would it change the globe? That's what Paul is describing for us as he writes this. A broken bat becomes unusable. A broken life, not so. Because it can be mended. It can be healed. Listen to some things that Paul describes for us about how God treats us. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith. So he's talking about everything that's gone before. Therefore, since this happened. Well, that's chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. If you missed that part from Easter on through the spring, go back to the podcast, get it, listen to it. It'll catch you up with where we are today. But he says, look, you've been justified by faith. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever tried to justify yourself? You know, you did something wrong, you kind of messed up a little bit. You know, I'm uh, not bad, but you sort of ju you justify yourself. Anybody ever try that? Some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not us over here. You're not looking at us. I see you. How'd that work for you? Justifying yourself, how'd that work for you? Not so hot, right? Let me put it this way. How many of you have ever seen somebody else try and justify themselves? Themselves. Yeah? Seen that? Yo, don't look. Don't look. Yeah. But it's much more obvious, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're like, when you justify yourself, like, I'm pulling the wool over their eyes. I'm, I'm going to pull this one off. They're not going to know. They're not going to know that I messed up because I justified myself so well. Er, thank you for playing. <laughs> And you see it when other people try and justify themselves. You're like, that's just not working. Well, it doesn't work any better for you. It doesn't work any better for me. But you know the good news about those of us who put our faith in Jesus and we follow him? God justifies us by that faith. 
God is a judge. He's using a legal term. And God the judge looks at our lives. He looks at the law, and then he looks at our lives, and he goes, justified. You're like, wow, that couldn't happen if I did that. But God looks at the law, which you have broken. Well, and I have broken, all right? Have you all broken the law? Do you all know the law? Really? The Ten Commandments, you know those? All of them? You know what's funny to me is most people, if I ask them, hey, give me the Ten Commandments, they give me like three. (laughs) Out of order. If you don't even know them all, how do you know if you're breaking them all? So here's the deal. God, the judge, looks at the law, then he looks at your life, he goes, you broke everything. You broke every law I have. And then he looks at you and he goes, I justify you. I make you right. That's what justify means. I make you right with me. If you try and make yourself right with God, you will come short. But if God makes you right with him, you will never fall short. You're not broken. You're whole. See, that thing that other people do when they try and justify themselves and you see it so clearly, it's because when they try and justify themselves, you see right through them. But when God justifies you and he looks at your life, he sees right through Jesus to you. And it's a whole different vision that he has. Paul says God justifies you. God sees through Jesus to you, and he justifies you. He makes you right. He declares you right with God. That changes things. And then, and then he goes on, he says, and here's how he changes it. He says, not only does God justify us, but God gives us peace. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a word that Paul used when he wrote this. It was a Greek word because he was writing this originally in the Greek language. He, he picked out the word erene. It's the word from which we get the the name Irene. And Irene means peace. If anyone here is named Irene or your grandmother was named Irene, it means peace. And the word erene in Greek, it it, it means the kind of peace that suggests the absence of conflict, the absence of war. The problem is, or like like a certain amount of tranquility, like 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 a lake that's totally flat today. Tranquility. The problem is, Lack of war doesn't necessarily constitute peace, does it? How about in your families? Does lack of war mean a presence of peace? Not always, because some of you are shouters and screamers. Don't raise your hand, because we already know. We live next door. No, I I don't know. But there are shouters and screamers, and you know when they're at war and there's not peace, you know when they're quiet, like, hey, they must be having peace because there's no shouting. But some of your families, you don't do battle that way. You do the silent treatment. You just, you just shut it down. Your family is totally tranquil on the outside. You have peace, but you are at all-out war. Just nobody knows it. That's the word erene. It's a word that means tranquility. It just means like absence of conflict. But when Paul writes this, he's really thinking more of a Hebrew word that's in his mind. It's the word shalom. And it's a word that doesn't just mean peace. It's a word that means peace that comes from wholeness. Shalom means that which is whole. 
that which is healthy, that which maybe was broken but has been mended, that's shalom. And if you have shalom, peace, your life is whole. If you have shalom, peace with God, your relationship with God is whole. It is unbroken. You have peace. He says, that's what I want you to have. That's what you have in Christ. You've been justified by faith, and now you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Unbroken. What if nothing in your relationship with God were broken? Wouldn't that be amazing? Does anybody here have a broken arm? Broken bone. Anybody have a broken bone in the, in the house today? Back there in the back, you have a broken, broken what? Oh, here, I'm so, I didn't see you, sir. I was looking behind you. There's someone else back there. So you're, you're wounded. I'm sorry. All right. And then, then back in the back, you have a broken bone? Leg? Are you in a cast? Are you in a boot? Screws and plate. You can open your own hardware store. Um, sorry, I don't mean to make fun of your pain. I'm sorry. That was not very kind. Uh, uh, anybody have a cast on? No cast. Anybody in the family room have a cast on? Sorry, I don't know what you're saying. Okay, have you all seen a cast? Oh, good, you've seen a cast. And today they do bright, pretty colors, pink and green and purple and all these great things, right? What happens with a cast? You put that cast on and they set your bones so that it's straight and then that cast stays on your arm for like six to eight weeks and you go back to the doctor, they cut that thing off and now your, your bone has healed. What happens if you put a cast on a broken bat? Nothing. Nothing. Well, how, how about if you left it on there for like six to eight weeks and it was a pretty pink color? What would happen after six to eight weeks? You took that thing off. What would happen to this bat? Nothing. Nothing. Still broken. But you put a cast on your arm for six to eight weeks, that bone heals. We have an orthopedic surgeon that was here in the previous hour, and I, I told him, man, you should have seen me. You should have talked to me before the first talk. Because he told me this. This is beautiful. You have to hear this. The bone is the only tissue in the body that heals without a scar. I know. I didn't know. I'm like, that's cool. (laughs) And you put a cast on that thing, that bone heals up. I did know this, that when the bone heals up, it's often stronger in the place where it was broken than it was before. That doesn't happen with a baseball bat. But when God says, I justify you and I give you peace, I make you whole, that's what he's doing to your soul. You are not a bat. You are much more like a bone. And it's possible in your relationship with God that when he heals you, he heals you even without a scar. Now, I'm not saying every wound in our life is scarless because there's a lot of pain that goes on and scars come and sometimes God leaves those. But he said, look, your life, when I heal you, when I declare you right with me, your life is healed like a bone is healed. Now, that still leaves me with questions about the damage in my soul because certain things happen when I have a broken soul, right? We talked about already. One of the things that happens is shame comes into my life. When my soul is broken, I carry shame with me. Listen to what Paul says in verse 3. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, 
hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because the love of God has been poured out through us by the Holy Spirit. Hope does not put us to shame. God does not put us to shame. In your life, if you're carrying shame around, in your life, if you're hearing a voice say to you, shame, 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 that it's not the voice of God. See, God's got you on a path of growth. And the path of growth involves some suffering. And we would love it if life never involved suffering, if it never involved trials or tribulation or any of those kinds of things. But he's got, got us all on this path that includes suffering. And he says, look, suffering is a path that you're on because it's going to produce in you perseverance. And perseverance is a gift because perseverance leads to character. And character is beautiful because character leads to hope. And hope does not put us to shame. That hope comes from God. God does not put us to shame. If you're hearing a voice that's saying, shame, 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 that voice is not the voice of God. See, when God heals your soul, he takes that shame away. Now, you may have to learn how to deal with that. You may learn how to, have to learn how to process that, but that's what God says about how he deals with us. God does not put us to shame. I don't have to feel unworthy. I don't have to feel unworthy of love and belonging. I don't have to carry that feeling with me in my life. I do sometimes because I choose to, but I don't have to because hope does not put us to shame. And what if nothing in your relationship with God were broken? That would be an amazing life. God does not put us to shame. And there's another aspect of our soul when it's broken. There's another thing that happens. We said, you know, sometimes we start getting a feeling that we're disconnected from God. It's like we, we, we try and pray to God. We talk to God. We try and engage with God. It's like, but he, he just feels so distant from us, so far, far away. That's the damage that comes from a broken soul, distance from God. Listen to what Paul says about that. Verse 2, through Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have gained access. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've allowed Jesus to forgive your sins, to bring you into his family, to become a follower of his, you have access to God through Christ. You have access to the Father through Christ. There's a great picture. It came from the days when John F. Kennedy was our president. Uh, I want you guys to show that picture uh, up on the screen. So when John Kennedy was president, someone took this picture of John Kennedy and John Kennedy. There's father and son and father sitting at the desk, uh, at the desk of the president in the Oval Office. And there's John Kennedy Jr. underneath the desk looking out the door of access. You know what the father gave to the son? An all access, all access pass. Got to go behind the scenes, got to go in the kitchen, got to go in the green room, got to go everywhere he wanted to go, even under the desk in the Oval Office. Why? Because he's the son. And all of this that we're talking about comes to you because you are now the son. You are now connected through the son. You have an all-access pass to God. 
God does not put us to shame, but God gives us access to himself through Jesus. There are no barriers. There is no brokenness. Yes, I still have to walk through the things that I need to learn in this life, but God has declared me righteous. I am in a right relationship with him. I'm whole. I have peace. No shame. Total access. That's what God has for us. God, I pray for us today that we would live like that, that we would live in that. I don't know what everybody's journey is today. I don't know where everyone is in this journey, but I pray this, that those who have walked with you for a long time, who know these truths, but for some reason have been carrying around some weight of shame or have been finding it difficult to connect to you, I pray that again today they would remember what you've given to them and they would live in it. Father, there are some among us that are newer followers of Jesus and maybe they haven't even known all these things that are true of them yet. And so I pray that they would be able to take what they now know is true of them and they would live it out. And Lord, there are probably some in the room, in this room or in the family room today that they haven't even decided yet to follow Jesus. They're still investigating who you are and what you've done. But there are probably some that are close and maybe today is the day I would pray this, that this would be the day that they would admit that they've been far from you. That they would believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior that you have sent. And they would choose to follow you by faith. And Lord, when they tell you that, would you say yes to them? Thank you for what you've done for us, Father. We love you. We appreciate you. We honor you as our Father for all these gifts you've given to us today. Thank you. Amen.